and welcome to This Just Is. My name is Ian, and I'm glad to have you here. Uh, I haven't done an episode in a while. Things have been a little chaotic, as we all can relate to. The uh, main reason for me is that we moved a little further out of L.A. to get some more space and some more peace and quiet. And we've been planning on doing this for a while, and finally we have accomplished it and we are getting settled. It was arduous and very stressful and was not made easier by the current conditions that we're all facing. But we feel very fortunate to be where we are at, and I hope that you and your loved ones are safe and doing well during all the craziness. Uh, I'll get right to our guest today, and she is a special one. Dr. Nicole Shurock is a functional medicine doctor, focusing on a slightly different approach to health and wellness. Dr. Nikki focuses on a 360 approach in her medical practice, and I personally feel this is the medicine of the future. Uh, she merges the entire snapshot of the individual's health, not just a blood test and some medicine. Uh, she dives into diet, stress, hormones, environmental toxicity levels, allergies, just to name a few. And her goal is to get people well, not to treat the symptoms, but to find the root causes of the imbalance in patients she treats and get them healthy and happy. And she does it very, very well. She's a wonderfully kind and knowledgeable person, and as she mentioned, she is living her passion, and I feel it's always a gift to speak with people whose passion and profession are integrated. Uh, we cover a whole range of topics from our broken healthcare system to COVID-19 to President Trump's current health crisis, traditional medicine versus functional medicine, and also, quite importantly, some insidious things in our environment that may be causing us harm that we don't even realize, like, wait for it. Wi-Fi, if you can believe that. It's really interesting stuff, and we, we talk a bit about that. Uh, the sound quality on this one is not amazing, but we did our best. Uh, also, as a disclaimer, Dr. Nikki's medical opinion is not a substitute for your own personal medical advice. If you're not feeling well or have questions about any of the topics we discuss, please talk to your doctor or medical provider. Our goal here with this conversation was to pique your interest and curiosity uh, and to have a dialogue, not to solve anyone's own health issues. So without any more preamble, here she is, Dr. Nikki Shorak. How are you doing? How have you been the past uh, six months? How has your practice been? How's your family been? Oh my gosh. I think that like every other human on the planet right now, we're just experiencing 2020 and I'm doing my best to not hold on to anything and uh, just go with the flow because it, everything is changing. And that was so true for us in many ways, you know, all the school systems and the, and my work and my practice. And when COVID hit uh, our hospital system basically shut the clinic down because it was losing money, which is happening all over yeah. the country because people couldn't come in to the doctor's office, which was a weird thing. You know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. And we're like, but we don't have any patients because they were all being filtered to the ERs and through special streams and a lot of private practices really suffered. But what, it, what that, what happened with that was that it spurred a, basically a, necessity of invention and we created a private practice that I am really enjoying and just see how incredibly improved that situation is for me in terms of being able to practice my passion. Okay. So it all turned out and to be for the good. As the losing money part of it, is that because of the way that insurance systems have set it up or the government has set it up and that they really only want you focusing on 
patients with COVID or patients with complications from COVID and that's what they're focused on or what, what's the reasoning behind it? No, actually, well, in the beginning, it was that no patient who had any symptoms of illness. Oh, first of all, we couldn't see any patients who didn't have anything acute, like, you know, so all the and that, physicals that was just, and that was just, just a, regular um, follow-ups. A preca- like a precautionary measure of like, unless someone's really sick, yes. we don't want to risk your health. Totally, yes. And then, uh, but then after that, they also said, but anyone who's sick can't go into our outpatient clinics, so they need to go through these various COVID clinics. And so they kind of funneled everybody into a certain area, and it, it, uh, it really shut down the uh, non-urgent care side of medicine. And I've heard that there's like medical groups and hospital groups where doctors are having to take massive pay cuts in order to stay open just because of the nature of the regulations that they've placed yes in uh in that they put in place because of because of covid and and um fear of spreading it or whatever whatever bureaucratic reason there is that's really interesting to hear actually from from someone who runs their own practice or was part of a medical group that it was such a, a huge financial impact and and i guess this is and this is not my goal is to not be political about any of this but i just wanted to kind of get your opinion about it as a medical doctor when you see the the um sort of financial side of things having such a large effect on the ability for you to practice your medicine the government stepping in and saying hey you can't do this because of some sort of outbreak or or whatever do, do you think to yourself maybe this system is built on sand and we need to reevaluate? Or do you think that it was just an overstep by the government or a combination of the two things? I think that the intentions are good, but um, unfortunately our system is, is very broken. And as you know, I practice functional medicine. So yeah. I'm really aware of the brokenness of our American healthcare. Mm-hmm. And it's not just in the financial aspect, but it's actually in the healthcare that we're that we're providing as physicians and the way that our physicians are trained. We have by far the most expensive healthcare in the world, you know, by several fold, but we rank dead last in quality of lifespan. And that is a true sign of a failure of healthcare. We have sick care in our country. You know, we wait until someone has a complex chronic disease before then we give them medication to stop the symptoms of that disease. But we are not trained in general as physicians to address what's causing the disease and, um, and recovering the patient or bringing them to a certain level of vitality. You know, the focus has always been on eliminating sickness, but really our focus should be on creating wellness and vitality. Uh, I think the system is broken in that sense that we can pour more and more money into this system, but until we change the way that we look at the human body and we address wellness in Americans, it's destined for failure. Mm -hmm. Could you discuss more? I mean, you touched on it slightly there with that statement, but just, you know, I've I've seen functional medical doctors, so I have a a primitive understanding of what functional medicine is as opposed to like standard, you know, family doctor care that you're used to. But, um, you know, my understanding of it, or at least the way that I've seen it practiced on me or, you know, um, my family members or friends who see functional doctors is that you look at the whole picture of the individual, not only 
from their blood work, but their stress levels, what they're eating, their hormone levels, um, toxin levels. You look at every single thing involved in their life. You look at health as a as a whole picture, as opposed to simply looking at one blood panel and going, "All right, your cholesterol is a little high. Here's a, here's a statin." Uh, which, not to diminish the work of millions of doctors across the United States, but just to say that there's this kind of standardized, like you said, treatment of of symptoms as opposed to, you know, I mean, I, I can't even remember the last time I went to a doctor and they said, well, what's your diet like? How much are you sleeping? It's just sort of like, you could probably lose 10 pounds, 15 pounds, sometimes 20, depending on when I go. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but there's not much of like, when I would see standard doctors, when I went to functional doctors, they would say like, we have to do, like, we, we have to pee into these cups and keep them in your refrigerator and then mail them in. <laughs> Uh, to see, you know, how much heavy metals there are in, in, in your urine or in your body and that sort of thing. So if you could just kind of talk more in depth about functional medicine and, or, or uh, discuss how off base I am with my uh, uh, description of it. Yeah. No, you're pretty right on. I mean, functional medicine is looking at the body as a whole. And that's not just like integrating mind, body, spirit, emotion, stress, because we all know that the number one cause of chronic disease is loneliness. Mm -hmm. And there's some pretty impressive studies on that, uh, which is a whole other topic regarding COVID that we could talk about. Mm -hmm. But, um, but also, we're looking at the whole body, like, how does the pulmonary system interact with the dermatologic system or the gut interact with the brain. And we know that it's not these systems in tr traditional medicine. We're trained with one system at a time and they're kind of silos. It's like you learn neurology and then you learn GI and then you learn, but nobody's thinking about, Hey, wait, all these things are in the same body mm -hmm. and this A is going to affect B. So when, you know, high cholesterol, for example, I mean, part of that problem with that situation is that we get paid the most to do a 10 to 15 minute visit and anything past that is negative and I don't mean we as the doctors directly but our administrations are you know if you're not turning and burning the patients in our current model of healthcare, you will lose money which is one of the reasons that our functional clinic was the first one to be shut down during COVID because we had to spend more time with our patients to figure out what the underlying root causes were of their illnesses. You know, if a child comes to see us with asthma, it takes 10 minutes to prescribe albuterol and a steroid, you know, but that's not really serving that child because neither of those medications are going to actually address why the child has asthma, which could be a chronic infection in the lungs, or it could be a chronic food allergy, or it could be a chronic inhaled allergy, or it could be mold in their house. I mean, and every child's different if there's no cookbook for it. So it's not like you could just, you know, have them fill out a questionnaire and then just give them their treatment plan. It really requires someone who can think about it and integrate it and put the plan together and personalize their, their treatment plan for recovery. But I would say that I'm hoping that the awareness of this approach, because once you recover, let's say, a child with asthma, downstream, our healthcare is saving thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars with not having chronic lung disease uh, for the rest of their life, and also addressing the secondary effects of, of um, chronic illness as it progresses. Uh, did that answer your question? Yes, it did. Um, <laughs> but it almost sounds like, based on what you've described and it's so upsetting to hear that your your functional practice was the first one to go you know what i kind of read between the lines is that you guys your focus is to get people well not to pump people full of medicine that may be part of your protocol in order to 
help people, but it's not, your goal is to get them well, is to find the root cause and get rid of the, the issue. Yes, and so that, that's not, that's not a moneymaker that you may make money yeah. up front and then get a couple of tests and labs. And once you identify what the issue is and you have a treatment course and the patient gets better, you no longer are making any money for, for the practice. And then that to me, for me personally, and again, you, you might not agree. I think that's the fundamental flaw in our medical system oh, yeah. is that there, there, there's a profit motive. Absolutely. And it's not only that the clinic doesn't make money, it's that we aren't referring for people for people to have surgeries yeah. or our patients aren't going to the emergency room. We literally received a letter from our hospital administration that we were statistically significant underutilizers of the emergency room. And we were in the red. And I thought that should come with balloons and a and a donuts or something. Yeah, but yeah. it was like it was not congratulations. It was, hey, you're statistically significant. Why aren't your patients using our emergency room? Yeah, um, it's, a, in, it's, it's almost like they're like you're a Best Buy or something like you're not closing sales. And it's like this is not totally. the business we're in. And I, totally. I understand the idea of like, you know, you're 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 doctors and you, you have to make a living and you're very, very highly skilled technicians, essentially. And you should get paid well for that. And it's not an easy job to do. And if you do it well, there's not that many people that I think can do it well. But it shouldn't be that, you know, you're seeing patients you know, 15, 20 times a year trying out a different medication each time or a different, you know, treatment path or, or course of drugs or whatever. And that's kind of what it is. I mean, you see it with, I see it with people around me, especially older people with metabolic syndrome. I mean, they're at the doctor like once or twice a month, they're getting a new medication, they're changing their medication, but then you see their lifestyle and they're not really, they haven't really changed very much in their lifestyle. If anything, they're just kind of doing more of the same, which I think is, obviously doesn't help anything. Um, no, and it's really important that the physician is the cheerleader for the patient because especially in our older population, you know, that people look to their physicians for what's what's the best course of action. And even with nutrition, my father-in-law had a heart attack and um, his cardiologist told him that his diet didn't matter. I mean, and he was pre-diabetic. I'm thinking, mm, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's not true. Um, but that's the way that the training was. You know, we have two weeks of nutrition in medical school, and it's kind of one of those classes that everybody fails on because mm -hmm. they don't think it's that important. I mean, there just isn't value given to it. And arguably, and it's, the, we, it's the most important thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, probably 50 years ago, we could have got a, gotten away with eating pretty poorly and still getting the nutrients we need. But right now they estimate 90% of Americans are nutrient deficient. Like that's crazy. Is that because and, of they, eat, they eat so much processed food and the quality of that food is so low that there's not really nutrients in it? It's our food supply. Um, it's the GMO and the Roundup issue on the food that affects the microbiome and then the absorption of our nutrients. You know, our microbiome is really key for um, metabolic responses to the food we eat so that we can absorb the nutrients from that food. And Roundup is an antibiotic and it's everywhere. And it's in, you know, they use it as a desiccant in wheat and sorghum and soy and corn. And so it's in really high levels in a lot of our foods. And unfortunately, foods that Americans eat every day. And I call that the anti-nutrient. It's like when we eat those foods, even if you did happen to have it with a really healthy salad, you know, that had the minerals in it, it's not going to come in. 
So, and then we also know that like 88% of Americans are metabolically unhealthy. You know, they have signs of pre-diabetes. 88%? <laughs> yeah. We have, 300, we have 330 million people in our, in our population and 88% have so metabolic like 300 disease. million people roughly. Maybe more. It, I'm not very good at math. This is why I'm not a doctor. Right. I'm not a scientist. <laughs> well, I'm not a math doctor. Either, yeah, yeah, so. okay, yeah. Don't, don't get that from me either. Well, you've got to do conversions, I'm sure. Sometimes. Use yeah. a calculator. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that, yeah, that, that's something that, um, you know, like I've, I've read a lot of and, and listened to like Dr. Zach Bush talk about soil health and microbiome and and that we're not connected necessarily to the earth in the ways that we need to be as human beings. And, you know, um, I've talked about this a little bit on previous episodes, but there's this feeling or sentiment that we're somehow above or different from the earth that we crawled out of. And we're very much made up of the things that we consume and the earth that we're, we're very separate from it because we're clever and we built these structures and things that keep us separate. But uh, if we're not interacting with nature and we're not connected to it, it, le it leads, it obviously leads to a lot of health problems. And as we manipulate our environment, it causes even more issues, not only with our physical health and our gut health and our microbiome, but also our mental health. There's yes, part of like, yeah, being that... going out and sitting in the grass or looking at trees or being out in nature that also is part Absolutely. of the, the health picture too. So I, I wanted to talk to you. I, I haven't had anyone on who's an ex, who's a, a medical expert to just talk about um, COVID from your perspective as someone who I assume has, has seen patients or at least uh, potentially knows of other doctors who are treating people with, with the disease. Mm -hmm. um, and as someone who's wary of uh, the massive onslaught of of media coming at me, but also understanding that this is a disease that does kill some people, um, or at least causes the effects of, or secondary effects that causes the death of people. What is the general severity of the disease that you've seen in most of the patients that you've, uh, you've come across? Well, I have to tell you first that 70% of my practice is pediatric mm. and 30% is adult. Um, cause I'm primarily a pediatrician, but I'm functional medicine. I see a lot of adults too, but and that said, I also think that my population is more health focused. Mm -hmm. So I haven't seen any problems with COVID, you know, in terms of any patients being, uh, having a health crisis related to it. I have seen COVID and, um, I do think that it's a thing and it's a, it's a virus that needs to be taken seriously. But I think the pandemic of fear that has developed with this virus is going to be more ultimately more harmful to our population than the virus itself. So your 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 worry or your concern is more about the disconnection that's it's that's causing from children hanging out with other children, families being together, individuals who are who are nor who are alone who normally have interaction with people not being able to interact with people that that actual toll is far greater than what the actual disease is doing to the, the the population at large, and that most people that get it probably pull through okay, but, but yeah, that, you but know, 99 percent of people who get it survive, ninety nine percent, and actually, I think the mortality rate early on was very skewed by the fact that we all, we didn't have testing that was available. You know, if I had someone in, as an outpatient who was sick, I was pretty sure who had it. I couldn't get the testing to test them for it early yeah. on. So and none, of, none so, of that information was accurate. 
and none of that was contributing to the number of cases. So the, the, the majority of people who were being tested were severely sick ICU patients. And if you're testing already severely sick patients, there's a much higher chance that they won't survive. Yeah. So those initial mortality rates of 5%, I mean, we know that's definitely not true. And it's currently down to around 0.2% mortality rate. But obviously, there's high-risk groups that I think do need to take that very seriously because the virus is novel, which means there's no herd immunity in the community. And it is going to, at some point, be infecting the majority of the population. And that's usually what happens. We have, in America, we have, I said, 330 million people in America. And right now, there's about 7.5 million cases that have been documented. That's only 2% of our population. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to get through this. I don't think there's any way around it. And how long are we going to, and how are we going to handle that as a country? I mean, I, I do think we need to give ourselves grace. We're doing the best we can in trying to navigate holding life precious, right, and minimizing the risk to those who are at risk. But at the same time, we do need to keep living. Mm -hmm. So what does that look like? You know, and for children, unfortunately, I think they've been significantly impacted you know a lot of kids get their food from going to school they get they come from homes that maybe aren't very stable so having that outlet to be able to go and have a teacher that's what that teacher needs to be for those children that's not happening in the majority of america and it's definitely showing up in you know rates of suicide and depression and anxiety uh, and then i think on the flip side our elderly are lonely you know, isolating so, so, so intensely. But it's not like I have all the answers in terms of how I think we should be responding differently. Um, I think we are just doing the best we can. And, and I, I hope that my hope is that we keep evolving, though, with our current understanding of the virus. You know, a virus that has a 5% mortality is very different than a virus that has 0.2% mortality. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I'm hoping that we can continue to evolve and adjust. And I think for the most part, that's happening. Yeah. Um, well, it seems it seems like I, I'm like very proud of, you know, uh, you know, as as divided of, as our of our na as a nation is and as politicized as this has become, I do have pride in that we have carried on and that there's been hundreds of millions of people who have said, "All right, I got to go wear a mask and go do my job. I'll go wear a mask and I'll do my job." And and people like yourself wear the you know hopefully they can get the PPE, wear the right PPE and continue to practice medicine and do the things they need to do. And I think that we forget that we're highly adaptable, highly uh, social creatures. And so I don't, I don't really remember what the world was like before this. Now I'm just like, okay, this is, <laughs> this is what it is now. And there's nothing we can do. And we've just got to wait for this thing to, to run its course and see maybe there's therapeutics that are better. Maybe there's a vaccine that comes, maybe not, who knows. Um, and if there is a vaccine, Will it be like the flu vaccine where there, it only has an efficacy of, of, you know, of one year, 30 percent or 40 percent or whatever mm -hmm. it is? Um, or is this thing going to mutate? Is it now around all the time? I mean, these are things you can just sit around and think about or you can go out and go like, all right, I guess I'll listen to we'll listen to what the experts are saying and try to do the best I can. If you can figure it out. I yeah, mean, I think one hard. of our challenges is age of information that we live in. But how much of it is fake news versus real news? I mean, just. Just, you know, Trump recently being diagnosed with COVID and just trying to understand, like, what's happening? Yeah. You know, now, I, I talk, don't I, know. I want to talk to you about I want to talk to you about that because I am 
I'm, I'm confused. I mean, he, I find him to be a confusing human being in general, <laughs> but I'm confused by a lot of what I'm hearing from officially from the White House uh, to what you're reading on, you know, general outlets to what you're hearing in the conspiracy space. You're like, some people don't yeah. think he has it. Uh, the White House is saying he's doing really well. His doctors are giving him these rounds of pretty heavy uh, steroids and, and retrovirals, and, you're, and he's only had it for like four or five days. So I'm like, well, I don't know that much about medicine, but if he's getting loaded up with these drugs that early on, I assume he was fairly sick or at least had a, yeah, had a fairly I think, strong response. You know, I don't, I, know, I I don't even know if that's true, though. I mean, who knows if that's what yeah. happened. If you're an American that's not confused about what's going on, then something's I don't know. Something's wrong with you. Yeah, yeah something's <laughs> wrong with you. But um, I think that it's interesting because I read the papers and the and the media with a lens coming from a physician perspective, and like you know their wording, you can tell by who's writing the paper what they're trying to convey. And it's frustrating because that's our problem. It's it's like all these media outlets, they all have agendas. You know, one yeah. side wants him to look like he's really sick, and the other side wants him to look like he's completely fine. <laughs> and it's figuring so that somewhere out, somewhere in I think the middle, maybe. Yeah, maybe. But yeah. you know, like I, I read an article that was saying that they put him on steroids, and that that's only reserved for severely ill. Well, that's not really true. And to be honest, if I was taking care of the president, I would be pulling out what we know works early on and not waiting. And that's something that's been shown with COVID: is that you treat early, you don't wait until the symptoms really show up. And he's so early in, his, in the illness that we also, I don't think they know how he's gonna do. You know, the virus usually peaks around day five to seven, and then sometimes, in some cases, two or three weeks into it. I definitely think it's gonna affect his ability to perform uh, in the election. And, uh, and there will still be questions probably at the time of the election regarding his health, unless they can do a really good job of um, curtailing it. Um, do you do you feel like someone with his um, past and health and current health status, and I know that every case is a bit of a snowflake, but when you look at his health, I mean, he's not the healthiest guy. He's older. He's, uh, he's overweight. He doesn't exercise much. He doesn't eat well. He obviously doesn't sleep very much because he's always on, the, on Twitter all night uh, yelling at people. But um, do you feel like even if he were able to kind of lick this, which it seems like he might be, I mean, my instinct is... He probably will pull through, but it seems like older people tend to have like left layover from it, like almost a hangover. Like it doesn't necessarily leave the system so easily. Yeah, there's uh, this post-COVID syndrome, right? Which uh, yeah, it. I think when they they did a study looking at well, and to answer your question about President Trump, he's definitely high risk. You know, he's seventy seventy four. Um, he has yeah. complex chronic disease conditions. Hypertension is death is associated with increased COVID risk because COVID the COVID virus is a vascular, a cardiovascular um, virus, and so I do think he's at high risk. I also think looking at reading in between the lines when his doctors report that he's getting daily ultrasounds. We don't ultrasound lungs; we ultrasound the heart. So that makes me wonder a little bit about heart. But it could also be that they're just being very cautious. Yeah, you know? yeah. So we're, Making we're not sure that know. he's not having any issues with his uh, yeah. blood flow and function. And also, I mean, there's, again, I don't know if this is true, but there's a lot of people that speculate that he's had some sort of health crisis in the past year with 
uh, with something. I mean, and and uh, and there is evidence pointing to potentially that's the case, although we would probably will never know. But he seems like he's a guy that would have metabolic syndrome just based on his lifestyle, his age, how much he weighs. For him to not have any sort of uh, secondary effects from his lifestyle would be very, very surprising. Um, yeah, you know, totally. Ba- based on my non-medical opinion. Um, but Well, you know, they did this study with um, patients who had COVID. And now these patients were early on and they were mostly pretty ill. So to be fair, I think it's a little bit biased because they were hospitalized. But 88% of them two months later were not back to full health. Yeah. Um, you know, with shortness of breath and fatigue and blood vessel issues and heart issues. I do think that this is something that in functional medicine that we're really aware of, you know, that um, post-viral syndromes that I don't think is generally recognized by conventional medicine. It, it, it's very common. Like we see it with all kinds of viruses. But, you know, if you have chronic fatigue and you go to your doctor they're going to tell you you're depressed and you should take an antidepressant, you know, I mean, depending on who you talk to, but they aren't working up the immune system and the viral infections, which is something that we definitely see. So I'm excited that COVID might bring this to light a little more because we're definitely looking at this virus with a microscope. Um, And I also think it's important to share with the community that this is not novel. This is not I think the COVID is a serious virus, but I think post-viral syndrome is also very common. So you just want to be careful that we don't feed the fire of the fear pandemic more than it needs to be. Yeah. You know, yeah, and I, I, unfortunately, I agree. I agree with you. I just don't know and see how that's ever going to happen, uh, especially now with the way that we're so divided, the way social media is, the totally. way mainstream media is. I mean, people are just I mean, I, I'm guilty of it, looking at my phone, reading through articles, trying to suss out, is this even true? Or this is from the Post or this is from Fox News. And what information can I trust here? Um, the White House is saying this. This news outlet is saying that. Where can I? I always kind of think it's got to be somewhere in the middle here. Uh, although it was reported he had, a, he had a fever that spiked and his oxygen levels dropped and that was corroborated. So he obviously was struggling. It seems like he's doing better now, but it is so... Uh, Interesting. I mean, like if I, I remember, I don't get the flu very frequently, but I remember when I would get it, you, you feel like funky for like three weeks after, even after you're like, yeah, I feel better. Like it just, it takes a lot out of you. It takes a lot for your body to regulate. And I think something like this, where the human body has to really work to figure out exactly the path to heal itself. If you're not doing all the things necessary that someone like yourself would recommend, the body might not fully heal. And especially someone like president Trump, who has all of these existing health issues and probably won't listen and won't rest and won't, you know, take the right, right precautions after. And someone that might, might have had some sort of uh, ischemic event, I could see this potentially affecting his cognitive ability more than most people and potentially like catastrophically uh, just because of what I've, what I've, you know, speaking to other people, about um, what they've seen in, in autopsies and what what the disease can do in the blood vessels in the brain and in the mm-hmm. heart and the lungs, et cetera. So yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that they're doing the best they can, I, I assume, as doctors. But, man, it's probably a pretty perilous um, road for them. Um, what do you think the number one thing that people can do to start on a path, like someone, let's say someone is, is living an unhealthy lifestyle. What are like the worst things that people do 
we talked a little bit about diet, but what are some of the worst habits that you see from your patients that you kind of say like, hey, cut that out? <laughs> like, I mean, the yeah. obvious ones, smoking, drinking too much, eating to excess, et cetera. But are there other things that you see that are a little bit more sneaky and insidious that people might not mm -hmm. realize are, yeah. are affecting their health negatively? Yeah, probably the number one thing, because it's so culturally normative, is our amount of time on our screens and our sedentary lifestyle. You know, get moving, get connected to the ground, get outside, get vitamin D. Like, we are living in boxes, and never in human history before have we been so sedentary. And so I would say that would be probably number one. Number two for me would, would be loneliness which is a tricky thing because i don't know how many how much people can do about that but um if you can you know connect reach out be with do what you can that you're comfortable with like to connect with people even if it is just zooming i guess but um which may be the case for some who are really at high risk during the pandemic the obvious thing too of course you mentioned is food I think maybe less obvious is um, environmental toxin, which is a big piece of our current disease epidemic. And that part's trickier because most people don't know that they have a toxin in their environment until it's kind of tipped the scales to the point of really significant disease. But living in a healthy house where you aren't in a water-damaged building, that's pretty important. A lot of homes that have water damage can create um, significant metabolic syndrome. Being mindful of having clean water, clean food, you know, um, not eating excessively out of plastics and um, your your self-care products, that like everything that's in your bathroom, your kitchen, those are insidious harms to your health that uh, most Americans don't know. And unfortunately in America, the way our system's set up, we are very favorable to businesses and, you know, some of our self-care products are literally like, you know, L'Oreal will make a shampoo and she'll, they'll send the clean one to Europe because Europe has regulations and Americans get the, the one that's cheaper to make but has carcinogens. And it takes a lot in our country to, it has to be basically one in court before something is decided that it cannot be sold or, um, you know, we have to go through quite a bit here before. So you have to be proactive about that, looking at what you're putting on your body and in your body on a regular basis. Yeah. And I know, you know, my wife, as you know, is very into this stuff too, and, and into cleaner beauty and uh, the environmental working group website is a good, good one for people Huge. if they're curious to go and look at products that they may even have in their house and just want to check up on. If you have something that you have in your house, the majority, the majority of products are probably bad for you, or at least rated pretty poorly on there. So I would encourage people to go on that website uh, to look at products and see if there's safer options for them. Um, the, uh, the other thing I wanted to ask, and people are saying that this is, there's a lot of people that have that have said this, and I think that you're, you probably agree, is that um, like Wi-Fi is something that people claim might be like the next cigarettes or the next thing that we go yeah. to. and and go, this is not good for humans, that these kind of rays shooting into our brain and into our bodies and into our organs are going to affect the kind of health of our cells and can lead to certain disease. Is Do you feel like yeah, there's a lot I, of credence I, to that? I, 
I 100% um, agree with that. I just put together an um, educational video where I was reviewing all of the basic science research looking at electromagnetic fields and how it affects our health. And let me tell you, it is scary. Like, I, it was hard for me to digest just reading the papers and realizing that I feel like I'm kind of powerless in the sense that I can't stop this exposure for my patients and my family. Um, it is... It is a very serious thing, and I think that over time the awareness is going to increase to a point where it will be a turning point, but not before the damage is done. You know, um, this, just the studies on fertility alone are uh, pretty shocking. They have animal studies showing that it's that uh, regular cellular radiation exposure will significantly uh, decrease fertility, and after the second generation of mice it was irreversible. Um, and for the first time in history, our um, fertility rate is lower than our population replacement rate. So uh, it, more shall come, but this is a pretty new um, epidemic, the, the infertility, you know, in terms of how much that's shifting. And I think about all the teenagers today who have their cell phones in their pocket 24-7 and have no idea like what that's doing. It's pulsed electromagnetic frequencies and it affects the calcium channels in our cells. And, and every cell has, a, has these calcium voltage gated channels. So it's pretty pervasive, but it's not like you grow a wart on your nose that everybody knows is from EMF. You know, it's kind of more cellular um, dysfunction. And so it's harder to identify. There isn't like exact symptoms that would make it, or lab tests that you can do to look at it. Um, but I would say, uh, from my perspective, that's the number one disease mediating environmental toxin today. And when we pull that out of our patients' environments, wow. they, they bounce back to healing. I mean, it's rapid. There's a couple really good documentaries around, like, just understanding what the exposure is. Um, one of them is called Generation Zapped. I don't know if you've seen that. No. But you can do things about, you can mediate that exposure in your own home. It's just, you know, don't go to Starbucks because, you're, or don't sit at Starbucks for too long. You know, it's everywhere in our environment and especially our children's school. They all, the schools are heavily um, Wi-Fi and then they have 30 different devices and each one of those devices has an extreme level of radiation when you measure compared to what's known to be safe in the human body. So it isn't just about having the exposure, but it's how much exposure, you know, like if we have 30 different devices in a single room, which is every classroom in America, and then we go to high school, everybody brings their phones. So they've got their Chromebooks and their phones. And then, you know, it's extreme, extreme yeah. response. We've been thinking about trying to figure out ways to sort of like hardwire the house or at least mitigate like some of the, exposure, but you're right. I mean, what do you do? You walk outside and there's Wi-Fi everywhere. I mean, every single device in your house is now Wi-Fi. You know, you send yep. messages, Wi-Fi, you, you're my, I don't have cable. So my television operates off of Wi-Fi, you know, so you would have never, I would have never thought that, you know, getting rid of cable would actually be a worse, uh, <laughs> um, you know, health option for my family, but yeah, there's some key easy things that you can do that to take your exposure down. Like, Making sure that your bedroom 
is free of that at night. I mean, that's a third to, to half of your life, depending on your age and how much you sleep. Mm -hmm. So that's a pretty big exposure remediation. So eliminating the Wi-Fi at night, making sure your phones aren't near your bed. And if you have to have your phone on, you know, putting it in like a metal box so that it's not pulsing to you in the middle of the night. Uh, making sure that your Wi-Fi and your Bluetooth are turned off on your phone during the day when you're just not using them. Because those are those uh, services are constantly pulsing, looking for signal. You know, when you open your Wi-Fi under settings, it's going to show you 30 different Wi-Fi networks. Well, how does it know that? Because it pulses every few seconds looking for new Wi-Fi networks. Well, every time it's pulsing, that's pulsing your body. So turn that off. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you don't need it. You don't need it on unless you actively really need it. And mm -hmm. I find that I hardly ever need it because I'm... I'm using my cellular for most things. But, um, and the other thing you can do is make sure you don't live across the street from a cell tower because that's a whole other level of exposure. Um, unfortunately, in our area, they put a cell tower on one of our elementary schools, and then within a year, they had statistically significant high rate of leukemia. They had like three children and one teacher. And um, so, of course, you can imagine that they took that cell tower down right away. Mm -hmm. But until we, this is kind of similar to the Roundup situation. You know, you, we knew for 10 years that Roundup was carcinogenic in the medical world and in the basic science world and all the studies, right? But it, you have to have a certain level of, well, because there's such a big business behind it, unless it goes to court and somebody says, yo, this is a problem, <laughs> No one's going to really listen. And you can bet that the telecommunication companies are very strongly working on the other end to continue to mediate that this is a safe exposure. Yeah, I mean, it's no different than big food or big pharma or big oil. Or it's the same. Yeah, it's the same thing. The thing that I find that's so pervasive and strange about it is that, you know, if you're polluting our water, if you're polluting our air, if you're polluting our literal like environment with, with these signals that are obviously damaging. There might be other technologies that are less damaging that are just as effective that would require, you know, um, research and design. It affects everyone. So even if you're a, you know, a billionaire CEO of one of these companies, your whole entire family is still exposed. And many of these companies know that their products are, are causing these issues, but they just are motivated by the profit as opposed to simply being like, well, if we took, let's say we made $8 billion last year and we took 500 million of it for research, maybe we could find another product that doesn't kill everyone or doesn't cause everyone these issues. So it's, it's like weird uh, human part of the human condition that I just will ne it never squares with me. I mean, I understand it to an extent, but part of me is just like, why not just like these, these massive energy companies, they know they're dying right now. I mean, even big coal is like getting out of big coal. <laughs> and they still are like, no, it's fine. We, we don't have to take any responsibility for this. And all this information leaks that they knew 30, 40 years ago that this was going to be the outcome, that it was going to cause all these environmental issues beyond simply the climate change, but also just the water, the air, um, dioxin, you name it, all these things that are in our environment that we're consuming. Everyone is affected. You can't you can't manufacture, uh, you know, wealth out of, out. you can't be wealthy enough to manufacture your way out of, out of certain health conditions. I mean, some things potentially, but for the majority is like, you're still drinking the same water as the guy down the street. So it's this very, very strange thing. I don't understand it, but hopefully we get wise to it. I'm, I'm, my hope is that this situation that we've all found ourselves in makes us a little bit more compassionate and a little bit more understanding of the precious nature of 
being alive and being healthy and being vital. Absolutely. I don't know if that's going to happen, but, um, I think it will. I think it will. I think that out of all things, painful comes good. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going to increase our awareness and, and it is not always a smooth ride (laughs) as we go through that. But I, I think the greed piece is a piece and until someone is really forced to kind of take accountability for it, in, at least in history, that, that hasn't really happened. Yeah. But eventually there is justice. And I don't think I'd want that karma. No, 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 no. I certainly, you know, you look at some of it and you go, that's coming back around. I mean, who knows, maybe President, what President Trump is dealing with is, you know, years of him uh, being rude and nasty to people. Who knows? But um, I wanted to ask you a personal question about as someone who runs their own practice, um, who, you know, you have you have children, you have a husband, you have a family. You also have this sort of extended family of patients that you care for. <laughs> How do you personally manage your own stress levels and your own anxiety and your own um, sort of concerns? Because, you know, it doesn't mean that you're impervious to any of these things. No. And I'm sure you have moments where you feel overwhelmed, but as someone who is fo- very much focused on health and overall, overall health and well-being, mm-hmm. what are some of the sort of some, some of the things you do to help you kind of manage your very complicated and busy life? Yeah, I, uh, well, number one is I'm living my passion, right? So, I mean, that's like a, fo- a food source to the soul that makes you kind of impervious to a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So when I'm going to work, it's not like, oh, I've got to go to work. You know, it's like, I'm working today. Yeah. You know, I'm so yeah. excited. I get to do this and I feel very blessed to, to be able to do what I'm doing. Like, it's just, it's very filling. So there's that piece. And I think that's probably 98% of the answer <laughs> yeah. that you just said. Do what but you love. Do what you do love. It, do what you love. And then uh, the other piece is I walk the walk, you know. I listen to my own advice to a point, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, like I'm eating, I'm eating right. I'm, I'm going to yoga. I'm, um, I'm having downtime, you know, I'm, I'm avoiding my excess screens and all that stuff. You know, I, I walk the walk. Um, and it's a balance and there's times where it's not easy. And I'm, I think the older I get, the more, uh, grace I give myself about just having a bad day. Mm -hmm. Um, but those bad days seem to be less and less because um, I find it easier to go with the flow. You know, 2020 to me feels very much like a, a big lesson for all of us in just letting go, being, needing to be in control or um, having to have a certain agenda or, you know, have to think our way through something. It's kind of like multiple times this year I've had to say, okay, I'll step back. Let's just watch what happens. You know, yeah. it's kind of like, I mean, it doesn't mean I'm not doing stuff and I'm not active and I'm not continuing to do things, but um, I'm, I'm much more in the being world. I'm observing more than I'm doing in 2020. Maybe 2021 I'll be doing more than I, I don't know. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I agree with you that it's been a year where it felt, I feel very much like, it's like, oh, you want to control things? Okay, good luck. You know, you're, <laughs> let me, yeah, yeah, let me show you how that's not possible. Oh, you think things have gotten bad? Let me set <laughs> totally. the entire, let me set the entire West coast on fire and see how you do then. Uh, you know, like, oh, it's, you didn't like your stay at home orders. Let yeah. me just lock you in your house. Literally lock <laughs> so you in your you house. Can't you can't leave. even go in your backyard. 
Um, so I, I I, I've been like, we're very much in the, we are drops returning to the ocean. I think that's kind yes. of the way to look at it is we've always felt like we're these disparate beings doing our own thing. And then something like this comes along and you begin to realize what the really important things are. And that's being with your family, being with people you love, doing the thing you love and being connected. Totally. And I, you know, I, I hope that more people um, are sharing the message that you're sharing with me and that they're not lost in, you know, on Twitter fighting with people that they don't agree with politically, because it just yes. seems like that's just a diversion when ultimately we're all just stuck in this crazy thing together, um, dealing with all yeah. the same things. And, and I think that that's a beautiful part of sort of your whole entire medical message is that is, there's no one who's not affected by any of this. Everyone's connected by this, by our environment, by the way that we feel and think. And, uh, you know, we're, we are our own reality generators, but we said, we tend to forget that, you know, we're, we're essentially, uh, witnessing the, um, you know, the results of, of decisions that have been made in the past on our, on this planet. And now we're dealing with Absolutely. it. You know? So we can, we can plant the seeds now to make sure that things like this don't happen in the future, or we can continue on this crazy path and it'll go out of control. Um, well, but, one uh, thing's for sure is that we're definitely evolving. Yeah. Because you can't go through something painful without changing in some way or another. But yeah. I think that we can change faster and we can change with less suffering, obviously, if we have the tools, you know, to, to be able to navigate that. And I'm, I think of this like we all have our own level of responsibility in this, in this pandemic. And responsibility, that word is how able are you to respond so if I can do my best and show up in my best ability and respond, and maybe that looks like I'm holding a lot of space, I'm calming a lot of fear, I'm, I'm supporting when there's crisis, you know, and, and just and then taking care of myself so that I can continue to do that, that's my level of responsibility. That doesn't have to be everyone's level of responsibility, but as long as we each own our own abilities, um, then we're going to do great. Mm -hmm. there's, there's, it's unstoppable. Yeah. I think that there's the, there's, I think your message is really a powerful one. And I think that from what I've seen, there's a lot of people that feel like that if you're not, you know, on social media screaming into the, you know, the echo chamber and being an advocate and, and being a, um, sort of a, you know, an activist and a very active activist that you're a part of the problem and that there's, different ways that people feel comfortable working on uh, things that they are passionate about. And in some instances, it's like you mentioned, it's just being kind, being open, using your skills to help other people and keep yourself in a good place to keep continue doing that. For some people, it's going into the streets and, and, you know, protesting, uh, you know, racial injustice or whatever it is. It's just totally. everyone has a certain role to play. And I think that we, get lost and you have to do this in order to play your role. And we like to point to other people to do things uh, that they feel that, that everyone needs to do. But I think that it's, I think you're right, is that we all have a, a responsibility to ourselves and then outwardly from there. Yeah. And we're the only ones who know, you yeah. know, I'm the only one that knows if I'm acting to my full ability or not, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and I can't judge, I can't judge anybody else's actions because I don't know where they're at, what their life experiences have been or where they, yeah. But um, I think if we all pull up, you know, like pull up, like, mm -hmm. like uh, to whatever, wherever we are, we can move through this. It's well, definitely a according challenge. to Twitter, according to Twitter, there are lots of people that can tell whether or not you're doing your 
uh, maximum, <laughs> if, at least from what I've seen. That most people yeah. think that no one's doing enough for anyone except for themselves. So that's what I've noticed on there and, and uh, YouTube comments that I've read. Um, the very I've had to really pull out of yeah. social media yeah. and um, I try not to watch the news. I mean, I'll be honest, the Trump hospitalization made me curious, right? So <laughs> yeah. it kind of sucked me back in. Well, as, a, do as a doctor I too, you're probably like, ooh, what's going on? You know? yeah, yeah, totally. I just have that medical curiosity, yeah. but... Um, and I, you know, he's the president of the United States. Yeah. You don't want, yeah. there's, there's, there's a story there, but yeah. it is for the most part, I think that the news and the, we have an addiction to this, um, it's a dopamine rush. I mm -hmm. mean, it's like a fear kind of thing. And I don't, I know that doesn't serve me when I'm in it and I'm getting all caught up in it and reading about it. And I, so I don't do it. Yeah. It's a, it's a drip. It's like hitting the morphine button, you know, and, totally. and it's the same. it is, I mean, it, 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 I feel like it runs on the same pathways as that, you know, that, Oh, what is this? Oh, someone sent me a text. So, you know, it's like this, Oh, what, it's like opening a present every single time you get on your phone yeah. um, and not to get too weird about it. But I, I argue that like people talk about cyborgs and that, you know, that's coming and the singularity of when human consciousness and science and, and robotics kind of meld together, I would argue that we're already there. And mm -hmm. that, you know, if well, how would your life be if you just lost your phone for a week? You know, well, I, it, people have full panic attacks. Yeah. They can't find their phone, you know. And you could argue it might not be attached to you, but it is attached to you in a way. Totally. And that, that you know, the, these, these algorithms that are being built and the way that they're structured, they're already insidious. They're already you know, creeping into your brain. I mean, my wife and I, Brooke, were talking about how like, we'll just think of something that we might want to buy. And it just kind of ends up showing up like <laughs> yes. weirdly, like we were like looking at gym, yeah. we're like trying to build a home gym. We're like thinking, well, maybe we'll get this machine or these weights or something. And I'll look into it. And we've just talked about it. And then I'm like getting served all these things. And now I'm like, oh, that. And then also I'm like, oh, I, I actually do want these things. Yes. So it's very, very like, you know, as a, as a scientist, you know, for you, I mean, I, I would say like, I think we're kind of already there. Like it's already yeah. happened. Yeah. Um, Have you seen the documentary Social Dilemma? I haven't watched it yet. I know. I, I Part of me is like, I don't want to just go and it's, get everything it, confirmed already. It's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Just con it's confirmation. Great. You know, well, maybe I don't need to see things. it. Then. Maybe you I, don't, I, you, I get you it already, already. You already know it. You don't need to see it. Yeah. Um, well, I want to just say thank you. I'm going to refer. I know you as Nikki, but I'm going to call you Dr. Nikki. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for sharing your time. I know that you're busy. And I know that we're, we're all in kind of a weird space, but it was really, really wonderful to hear your expertise and your advice and your opinions on this stuff and also just your knowledge. So I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. <laughs> it has been a pleasure, Ian. Uh, thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Dr. Nikki. She is a wealth of knowledge and someone I always enjoy chatting with. If you're currently interested in switching up your medical care and the concept of functional medicine is interesting to you, uh, I would encourage you to go online and seek out functional medical doctors in your area. I've used one in the past and found their insights and approach to be very beneficial for my own health. And the more of us that utilize this type of care, the more demand there'll be for it. And I think that we focus too much on blunting the symptoms of diseases 
and not addressing the root cause of things. And functional medicine, in my opinion, uh, is a powerful way of combating this traditional approach. So uh, stay happy and stay healthy as best you can. Be kind and patient with yourself and others. I will hopefully be getting another episode up sooner rather than later at some point. We'll also hopefully have a studio uh, that we can do our recordings at. And um, I wish you and your friends and your family well. Thank you for joining. This just is.